You're listening to Fox on the Wire. Welcome everybody to another episode of Fox on the Wire. Thanks for tuning in. I'm very excited to have a special guest with me tonight, Daphne Camp from multi uh, multi different projects. Uh, one being No Zoo and also Sad. Daphne, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. No worries. I've been looking forward to having you on the show, um, mainly because there's not a lot I know about you. Yeah. Um, and you said you're a self-confessed chatter. Yeah, and, uh, I'm a chatty Cathy. Yeah. yeah. And um, <laughs> Tahani tells me you're involved in a lot of different things yeah. musically. So, um, yeah, I thought this would be a good way to, to find out more about you and Obviously, everyone tuning in as well can find out. So, um, what have you got going on mainly at the at the moment? Um, well, I play in two bands. Um, one is called Nozu, and uh, we've been around since two thousand and seven. Um, although for the first couple of years, it started off as like the solo project of the main guy in the band, and then it evolved into a three piece. And then by the time I joined, it was a four piece. Um, and so I, I joined in 2010, um, and then in the last, I think year and a half, two years, um, I've also been playing in a band called Sad with my bandmate, Simona Kastrukum, who has her own solo project. Mm-hmm. Um, and the two bands are like diametrical opposites yep. to each other. It's like Nozu is like eight, eight to 12 members, depending on availability, um, lots of like very gregarious personalities um and like when we rehearse it takes a good like 45 minutes just to like settle down from like we all just want to chatter to each other um and we're like okay it's it's time to play some music (laughs) like um and everyone likes to have have like a, a bit of a good time to different degrees um in terms of like having a drink and things like that me not so much these days um Whereas sad is like, well, there's two of us. Um, the songwriting process is very, very different. Um, I think because we both are women, we like you know, the boys can get pretty raucous sometimes. So being in a band with another girl, then it's it's a totally different energy. Mm. Like, um, and but I really thrive off being able to experience both mm-hmm. of those kinds of 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 bands they have different audiences um and in sad i get to um 
express myself lyrically a lot more because I'm not so much a principal songwriter in Nozu. I was at the beginning more. Um, but these days, like I will contribute lyrically and melodically like here and there, but not as much. So sad is kind of my outlet to like express quite personal um like lyrics and melodies and things like that yeah well there's a lot going on in nozu um and from what i sort of heard leading up to this interview um it's a lot of instrumental almost chanty sort of uh things going on um not your typical sort of songwriting scenario i guess yeah i think that comes from having members who come from wildly different musical backgrounds. Yeah. So Nick, who is like um, the, the the leader of Nozu and the one who started the band, um, he tends to like write the backbones and the skeletons of the songs, but he comes from like a production background and a percussion background, oh, yeah. but not like an... Uh, a background in other instrumentation yeah and then we each bring our own backgrounds into the mix um and we range from people who come from like a more diy punky background um to people who are like vca graduates in music and who teach composition and stuff and um there's no hierarchies in the band regarding like who's a technically gifted musician or not it's we just I think what comes out of that is something interesting. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, the, the, like you said, the vocals are very chanty. I find it them harder on the vocal cords than right. sad. Yeah, I find sad um, is very comfortable for my voice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, the video that um, I checked out on YouTube for Nozu the other night um, – I can't even remember what song it was, but like you're out in like the desert. Oh, yeah. Spirit Beat. Yeah. yeah. That was and filmed in Clunes near Ballarat. Right. Yeah. In, that in was, um, it's crazy to watch. Like there's so much going on visually and musically. Yeah. It's just, um, it's yeah, pretty wild. So um, just to be able to pull all that together, all the different influences and sounds and with the video, the visual as well into a song format is... It's pretty crazy. Yeah, our our influences are pretty clear, but I think, but I sometimes feel like people don't know what our influences are. Mm. Maybe because a lot of our influences are obscure to other people's standards. Um, like, I think the the backbone of our influences are like um, early eighties downtown New York, like no wave stuff for James Chance, Lydia Lunch, um, bands like Suicide. Um, but also we all, half of us kind of all grew up on, on punk as well. Um, and at the crux of the band is Australiana, but our own interpretation of it, because we all come from such different backgrounds mm. ourselves. But, it's filtering that Australiana through a twisted lens, a lens of like campiness and garishness. And, um, but I think above all, it's not ironic. We're not ironic, but we're also not totally earnest either. Mm. Um, I think what gets overlooked a bit um, in the music 
so I think some people think that we're like a jam band that we like just jam out our tunes on stage when they're actually quite um, rigorously structured um, and lyrically um, I think because some people can't decipher the lyrics like they're not they're not easy because because of the way we sing them um, they think that they're the, the lyrics are made up or something like that um, but often well, on our last album um, we kind of used BDSM as like a metaphor for colonialism and um, indigenous rights and things like that and that's um, that's that's the I wouldn't call it a downside but like we play we play a lot of dance music festivals and that's definitely going to go over people's heads mm. at, in that kind of scenario right yeah so uh, where would a song start like with all that instrumentation and stuff going on there where does um an idea for a song start amongst all that for someone like me who writes on guitar like yep. it's quite quite simple yep. um starting point um you know how do you start do you start with a a beat or uh, a lyric sort of well chant i guess i think it's always the beat Right. Yeah, Nick. Nick, who is yeah the benevolent dictator of the group, yeah. um, he will write a demo. Um, but we do a lot of writing while we record. Um, so the rhythm section will often get recorded um, at a studio, mm. like um, usually Head Gap, I think, and then um, everything else. So like um, extra percussion, synths. Um. Uh, what else? Horns, vocals. We even, after many many years, started introducing guitar to the band as well. Um, that a lot of that gets recorded at home. Um, and then that's when yeah we kind of write while we record. Mm. Um. Yeah, it's hard to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's. Because some 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 songs come almost fully formed by Nick, and then others um, will lend our individual skills skills that he um, is passionate about, but may not necessarily possess. Like um, you know, us vocalists will come in and we'll like you know make up the vocal harmonies and stuff because we're kind of moving a little bit away from that chanting kind of style. Right. Um, so we'll write we'll write those harmonies, or the horns will come in, and um, you know we'll be like, okay, at this point we want like a jazz breakdown before like the beat comes back in, and then like they they'll nail that in two seconds. Like they're very adept. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess like songs get written in different ways mm. in Nozu and. And sometimes they kind of ruminate for a little while. But I'm definitely not the principal songwriter in the band. Yeah. Um, there's some songs where I contribute more lyrically and then some not at all. Right. Yeah. So does Nick, if he's written sort of or brought in a song as such, does he have it, the whole thing basically mapped out in his head, um, you know, with a breakdown, if he wants a breakdown somewhere and that sort of thing and... Um, whether he wants horns in there and certain types of percussion. Does he sort of have all that mapped out or do you guys uh, 
almost uh, sort of jam on his idea um, when he when he brings it into you guys? Do you guys sort of take it from there, or has he got it sort of direct? He's already sort of heard what he wants to hear, and directs you guys from there, if that makes sense. Mm. Or do you just he brings in an idea and it, it just sort of forms itself as you guys I make think, your own interpretations on it? I think it's on a spectrum. Sometimes, sometimes he's got it all mapped out. Yeah. Not all our parts, because our individual parts, like, uh, like, Nozu couldn't happen without all of us. Yeah. Um, and then, but then in other other instances, it's um, it's someone else being like, oh, you know, this bit would sound really good with this or that or mm. or whatever. Um, yeah, I find I do a lot of ad-libbing during vocals. I'll be like, oh, well, we're here anyway. Might as well chuck in some ideas, extra ideas. And if they don't fit, then they don't fit. Um, and yeah, so so it's a it's a bit of bit of everything but i i yeah i actually don't know how he writes the the skeletons of the songs because like he's kind of like i I think he's a genius like Mm. because like i don't know how someone with his background um writes what he writes i find it i i to this day i still find it very intriguing um because just the way the songs switch and they change and they, um, they, you know, just like veer in different directions really suddenly and things like that. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Because, I mean, with all those, or with, you know, eight to 12 of you there, that's a lot of brains, you know, with different ideas, no doubt, and lots of different instruments. So the possibilities are almost endless yeah yeah um, that's why i call it like i i i meant no shade on nick by calling it a benevolent dictatorship um <laughs> and because someone has to lead yeah like especially like in a, so even in a four piece let alone an eight to twelve piece yeah, for sure um and yeah he um yeah we each bring our own our own vibe like mm. um there's a lot of freedom mm. to move, but it's also not like a free for all, like free for all jam. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of over the years, as in the early years of the band, I kind of found my performing style and my vocal style, and then, um, that has you know gone through like various shifts over the years, but uh, I think each member kind of finds their playing style that suits both themselves and the band and then kind of you know then we kind of develop I wouldn't say a formula but what we have is like we call it a self-referential world like a self-referential universe and I I don't know if um if you've experienced this in the bands that you play in where you know when you play together in a band for a while then you start dressing like each other (laughs) and you start like well then you then first you get like the private jokes yeah. you start dressing like each other <laughs> and then you start like listening to the same music yeah. and then um yeah very in a very organic way that a band becomes kind of like a musical family a unit a unit yeah yeah, yeah. but our our kind of self-referential universe is both um 
conceptual, a- aesthetic, and musical. Mm. Yeah, hence the the music videos and the photo shoots and things like that. Yeah, it was a really cool video. Just so much going on, even just visually. Um, so you know, it's very different to anything I sort of listen to or or watch usually. Usually, so um, yeah, I was kind of blown away by mm-hmm. by it all. But um, so you're kind of well, you're described as, uh, you know, sort of otherworldly group vocals, wild horns, housey synths, deep groove bass lines, uh, Latin percussion. Um, they're among some of the ingredients um, and described as heat beat pioneers. Yeah, that was a self-coined yeah. genre. We've Some of us have got the tattoo, the matching tattoos, the oh, heat yeah. beat tattoos. Yeah. A few of the fans have the heat beat tattoo as well. Yeah. It's a nice little stick and poke. Um, yeah, heat beat was, was a genre that Nick came up with, I guess because when you ask so many times, like, you know, like what is, what kind of music you play when you're so multi-genre mm. um, and I mean, multi-genre, not in the sense of each song is a different genre, but like like just genre inclusive in each song. Like um, when, you know, when people ask me, what does your band sound like? And I'm like, oh, well, it's kind of <laughs> housey, disco-y, funky, like, like techno, um, salsa rhythms, and but also really punky. Like, and they're like, oh, so like the rapture and i'm like no 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 like and with uh with older people we usually just go um talking heads it sounds like talking heads yeah. like yeah oh, man. i mean it's hard enough to uh you know what what does your band sound like if you're just a you know a rock band because mm. there's so many different types of rock and sometimes you spill into metal and yeah but with you guys i can't imagine trying to explain yeah. <laughs> how to break it down into you know um so i'd imagine your live show would be pretty crazy yeah it's very it's very physical um i don't i don't feel like we've played a solid show unless we're like all you know like sweaty and very tired and there are moments where like I feel like I'm going to like pass out or like um, just having have have a little coughing fit or something, and I literally have to just turn around from the crowd for a second, catch my breath, bend over for a second, and like take a few breaths and then turn <laughs> back around again. Um, um, yeah, it's a it's a very physical live show. I think people think we're all like party animals because of it um but for me personally the atmosphere before a show is relatively sedate no that's not the right word like (laughs) we get rowdy with each other but i definitely hide backstage Mm. before a show i can't really like um i need to conserve my energy and things like that um and then afterwards it could go either way I, i either go straight home or i might like keep hanging out um, but it is a very energetic live show. We're very, we can be very physical with each other as well. I think there's a kind of shared understanding that that's okay. Like I can like, you know, 
step on my bandmate's head or whatever (laughs) or like it's also like we're forced by proximity into being very physical with each other sometimes because of very small stages like um there's there's times where yeah like i'll feel like a little bit of drumstick just like a splinter (laughs) of it fly off and like hit me in the head or like um like my bandmates sweat will like flick onto my face yeah um i once like someone like tipped their trumpet forward and all this trumpet juice just oh, went in my ear trumpet juice yeah trumpet juice oh, man. yeah um <laughs> but now we're, we're we're very comfortable with each other so it's all good trumpet juice that's gross yeah oh, rank thanks for that <laughs> <laughs> um so you guys have been to uh europe twice yeah europe twice where else have we been is Russia considered Europe? Oh, wow. We've been to been Moscow. To Russia. Mos- just Moscow once, as in like we played one show. Yeah. Um, I wish we could have stayed there longer because I was literally in Moscow for a day and a half. Wow. Uh, we've played Mexico. Um, we've played LA and New York. New Zealand many years ago. Um, yeah, and, ar- and around Australia. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. What was um, Moscow like for a day? It was fascinating because um, all those stereotypes of, I don't know if you've seen that Instagram, I think it's called like, look at that fucking Russian or something, or maybe it's just called look at that Russian. Maybe I'm embellishing. I can't remember. (laughs) Um, And it just shows all these like Russian stereotypes of people slav squatting and like eating sunflower seeds while drinking vodka. Mm. And as we drove through kind of like, the more industrial areas towards Moscow, that was exactly mm. what it was. You know, people with those, like the Gopnik haircut, mm. like the hair there, no hair there, and then hair at the back, like um, all in Adidas and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, although our crowd were like mostly English speaking and familiar with like global dance music, including like Melbourne dance acts, because um, the DJs were playing like Aussie um dj acts um we did a cover of um talking to a stranger by hunters and collectors and like they knew the lyrics to it um i think in places like we've played like mexico and and russia the gig going crowd is a more uh affluent crowd Mm. um whereas like uh, uh, the the average crowd at a melbourne show would be kind of like middle class like um so they all speak like you know english fluently and um and are all like like it's a particular scene it's it's different to here but everyone was very welcoming and yeah right is there um i mean russia to me it just it's such a like obviously it is a foreign place but it it seems like such a foreign place if you know what i mean like Mm. totally other side of the world and for a band from here to go there just is is crazy but um there's a bit of a an audience for that over there obviously yeah surprisingly um yeah and other other bands we know in kind of like similar circles to us had also been there and played the same um venue um and yeah it was definitely a super fascinating place um because like walking around i 
saw so many people who I thought were East Asian, like like I am. Yeah. Um, and I said to one of the promoters, like, I didn't know so many Asians were in Moscow. They're like, nah, they're from Kazakhstan. Oh. Like, I was just reading them wrong. Like, oh. Yeah. Wow. Um, like, I mistook them for East Asians. <laughs> um, and... Yeah, but it was it was a whirlwind, like because I was very very jet lagged yeah. when I arrived, and then they took us sightseeing. Um, so I, you know, went to Red Square, went to the Metro, um, places like that. But I was like reeling so much that like my vision was like kind of everything was kind of moving, and then we went um, to this kind of like subterranean, like basement restaurant where. Like, you know, we ate, like, very typically Russian food, like, drank borscht and ate, like, pickled kingfish and things like that. And then someone was, like, playing a cello while a lady was, like, reciting just very, very serious-sounding poetry. It sounded like she was talking – expressing some deep things. So it was just, like, this, like, cello with me, like, jet-lagged, losing my mind. Um, eating cured fish, drinking borscht, drinking vodka, and just being like, "Oh God, God, where the hell am I? <laughs> I guess I'm in Russia." Yeah. Like, <laughs> wow. So where did where were you before that? Did you fly from here? We f- yeah, we flew from here to Russia. I think via Dubai. Right. And then from Russia, we went to London, where we had a few days off, which was good. We needed that few few days off to like have you know cook some meals together and just like catch up on sleep because when uh, the rest of the time when we've toured Europe, because we're not like a really big name band, um, we'll fit, you know, 12 shows into a fortnight. Um, and with some days, even like two shows in one day. Um, and so it's basically, uh, lobby call at like six or seven drive all day, uh, to another country and then sound check, play, mm. do merch, pack down, and then uh, get home at some late hour, yeah. and then do it all again wow. the next day. Yeah, Have which I think is typical of that kind of yeah like experience. But with such a physical show, it must be pretty tiring. Obviously, yeah. There's definitely days on like on tours like that where I'm not feeling great during the day. Um, not feeling terrible, but not feeling great either. Like your, your needs just become distilled down to like, am I eating right? Am I getting the maximum amount of sleep I can? Yeah. So like sleeping as much during the daytime to catch up and just kind of being in a bit of a stupor. But then there's moments where you're like, oh, look at those beautiful mountain peaks. Or, you know, you get little moments if you have time and you're not running late to look at stuff. Um and then you just like set up and you sound check and you eat dinner and then you eat dinner and as you eat dinner you slowly start to like come back to life yeah. a little bit <laughs> and then um but even right before the show there's a bit of like oh i'm just like i'm like just reeling a bit from accumulated sleep deprivation and things but then you hop on stage and all that just goes away yeah. and then um, you put your all in and then afterwards you're like, okay, time for bed now. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if that kind of um, like adrenaline 
endorphin dopamine rush every night is good or bad for the human body. Hmm. Justin Bieber actually wrote an Instagram post recently and it was all about, you know, the hardships he's faced in his life from being like the most maligned um, tween pop star to the adult pop star that he is now. And he wrote about how, um, you know, nothing rivals that dopamine rush of being on stage in an energetic environment and then you come off the stage and you're like, no, what do I do now? Yeah. Like, which is why so many musicians, you know, turn to like just like unhealthy vices and stuff mm. to deal with it. Yeah, I've, I think um, I think Bon Jovi said once like the crowd, you know, and the energy of the crowd and, and your adrenaline is just so high. Uh, you know, you duck out the back, jump in the car, go to the hotel and it's just like... <laughs> And then it's just you in silence. Yeah. Um, and yeah, how do, I don't know how you would, um, I guess you would get used to it. The more you do it, you learn your own little ways to cope. With with me, I feel like I'm very lucky that I play in a band with so many people and there's very few down moments. Like we're, all, we're always like very happy around, around each other and, um, but we also respect each other's like space and silence if needed. And mm. I'm, I'm someone who needs a lot of alone time. So we're like, yep. I'll often just be like, I'm going to go like, and I'll be back in a bit. Like, yeah. um, especially when I was like the only girl in the band for like the first seven years or so. Um, I, off, I, I felt like I needed my space even more then. Like mm. we'd be on tour and I'd be like, I'm just going to go for a walk. I'll be back in like four hours. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, But um, I would find it incredibly difficult being a solo artist and experiencing that, um, like getting on stage, experiencing that rush and then being alone afterwards. Um, like if I had, if that, if I was in that position, um, I would like bring someone on tour with me. Right. I, yeah. I, I don't think I could be a solo artist full stop. Mm. Yeah. Um, I'd imagine the momentum of the shows, like if you're doing so many shows, despite your exhaustion and stuff, the momentum of the shows would be amazing for the live show itself. You you guys would just be on fire, you know, if you're doing so many shows in a row. Yeah. The performance would just almost take care of itself and you'd be so sort of tight together. And Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's especially because um, while we do do quite a bit of writing while recording, there have been times where we've toured a song before recording it mm. and that makes recording it a breeze, like when right. when it's just like muscle memory. Yep. Yeah. Um, but that said, like I would say nearly all our shows in Europe go off each tour, but there is always one show that doesn't. Right. Um, and say, for example, last time for us, it was in Lucerne in Switzerland. We have no fan base in Switzerland. <laughs> like, um, and so um, most of the other shows we either played to like anywhere from like maybe 150 people in like a club to like a couple of thousand at a festival. Um, granted, they're not all there to see us specifically like they're there because it's like a big festival Mm. um but then yeah there's always one show on the tour and on the last tour it was lucerne in switzerland 
where we, I think we played to like 10 people mm. and you still have to bring the same energy. In fact, maybe even twice as much because you've got to bring on that punk energy yeah. and show them that, you know, you're still going to put on the same show. Yeah, I think out of respect for the audience, for those 10, 11 people who have come um, and also just to not be dissuaded. Mm. Yeah. All right. Um, so is it mostly sort of dance festivals you guys are playing? I guess overseas in particular, you're just jumping on a bunch of different dance festivals. Um, actually, most of the festivals have been quite varied. Like we've played ones where the headliners have been like bands like Air, um, Lush reformed one. What what, what festival was that called? Stereo something um we've played transmusicales in france um so like lots of electronic acts but lots of indie acts as well like lots of um yeah indie and rock acts hip-hop acts like just like lots of different genres but not so much like quiet music Mm. but in australia i think we tend to play more dance music festivals but not like EDM festivals, mm. um, more kind of um, DJ acts, and will be like the 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 band amidst the many DJs on a on a festival. So in line a, up. Yep. In Australia, you've played um, the Golden Plains, uh, Monofoma. Yeah. Um, played Dark Mofo, Monofoma. Wo- Womad. Yeah, Womad. Yeah, we played. Meredith as well. Fremantle Festival. Yeah. Actually, have we played Meredith? Or Golden Plains? No, I think we played Golden Plains twice. Right. Yeah. Um, and do you guys do your own sort of headline shows here in Australia? Yeah, but we don't play super often. Right. Um. Yeah, so we would rather play more sporadically and sell out those shows mm. than to play frequently and not. And I don't know, as much as people love the heat beat, I don't know whether they're up for it every weekend. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so, yeah, we, we'll headline maybe like um, a couple of times a year. Yeah. Yeah. And then we'll also, yeah, do play in lineups. Like we play a lot of, um, as well as festivals, we play a lot of kind of, um, arts festival type gigs or like like we had a show at the Melbourne Museum for the Nocturnal series, um, kind of Mel- Melbourne Music Week, that, those kind of things. Yeah, so not always festivals, which I'm personally relieved for because I am personally not a fan of festivals. Uh, I mean, I love playing them, yeah. but I'm not like a, one of those people that just loves being at festivals. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't really go as a, as a fan to any sort of festivals the last time i went as a fan i was 20 mm. um yeah i just feel i just feel that um maybe this is not something I, w- I should admit as a musician but i feel like with festivals you're seeing bands play potentially at their worst no sound check for most of the bands except for some of the internationals. Yeah. Um, more, just more room for things to go wrong. Um, I like music 
and I like nature. I kind of like camping to an extent, but I don't really like to combine mm. the two. I just find it a very uncomfortable experience, especially because I've got some health issues and and it's just it's just a lot of work. Yeah. I prefer to go see a sideshow. Yeah. Um, but that said, yeah, like I feel kind of it's an odd odd position to take because i love playing festivals and i love the energy Mm. but i don't really like i don't really hang out in the crowd very much or move beyond yeah like backstage and and the stage very much Mm. um also to conserve my energy as well particularly if they're um more local festivals and i've got a lot of friends in the crowd like it's like love to see you but i (laughs) kind of need to be in get in the zone yeah yeah Uh, i can definitely understand that yeah um i'm not a big festival person myself i mean i definitely not dance festivals but yeah you know even uh, big day out and yeah sound wave and those sort of things i i never go i just can't sort of do the whole festival thing i appreciate um you know, people as music fans that go to those things because they're just huge and mm. they're great for the bands. But I always look out for the sideshows. Yeah, I definitely appreciate the passion of the yeah, people who go. Definitely. Like, um, I think as the years go by, I am more and more grateful to music lovers and music audiences. Mm. Um, I. It's not that I didn't have that gratitude when I was younger. It was just something I didn't think about as much. Mm. But now I'm just really, um, like I, I didn't think I did. I didn't go into music with any aspirations to do anything. I didn't even mean to start playing in bands. I just kind of stumbled into it. Yeah. So like, to to even have audiences after playing in bands for 13 years i'm just grateful to still be on this ride um so yeah i like i feel so like a bit precious being like oh i hate being at festivals but uh, but i'm so grateful to um the crowds there and how passionate they are um and i'm grateful for the opportunity to play them Mm. in terms of attending them i i prefer the one day ones like sugar mountain um and in a more urban setting, because I'm just a bit of a bit of a sissy like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not good if uh, you're one of those people that needs a, a toilet nearby, yes. which we discussed earlier. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And just like I think I'm just very sensitive to the elements, and like, yeah. Um, yeah, and like other people that they'll be like. Yeah, it rained all Meredith long. My tent was flooded. You know, I was drenched. I had a great time. Whereas I'm like... <laughs> that sounds awful. It sounds awful. Yeah. 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 Well, I definitely appreciate those sort of people, but I'm not one of them. I yeah. guess we all we all like to listen to music in different ways. And I guess those festivals are almost as much about the experience and hanging out with other people. Yeah. Um, yeah. People like to like pack a lot, you know, mm. pack couches and pack... Yeah. Everything. Whereas I, I don't have a car and I don't like, I don't like to overpack for anything. Like, um, even like in Nozu for, for all these years, like when we've had just like an overnight interstate show, I'll just bring like a little backpack and it's got my percussion in it. But, um, I've upgraded to <laughs> this like percussion stand that like, uh, 
hooks onto my mic stand because I like did my back at a show where I bent over to pick up my percussion and like hurt my back oh. and like my thoughts were racing through my head as I was about like I mean it would have been a split second but the the, the thoughts felt like a million years it was just like will I get back up like can <laughs> can my body like vert- become vertical again um and after that I was like I need I need a percussion stand. Yep. So the percussion stand has created the need for a small, a medium sized carry on suitcase, which gives me the freedom to pack a whole bunch of shit now. Cool. Because my bandmates they're like, they'll bring like four shirts, two pants, like two pairs of shoes, and be like, "What should I wear tonight?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Really? Like I have decided like long before <laughs> we've set off." What I'm going to wear because I'm like, because I don't want to bring excess stuff yep. purely because I'm too lazy to carry it. Fair enough. Can't be bothered. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, the less you've got, the less you've got to worry about, yep. I guess. I'm also a very decisive person. I'm like, I'm wearing this and this yeah. and this yeah. and that's not going to change. Fair enough. Yeah. It's not that easy for some people, <laughs> <laughs> especially when you've got a few shirts to pick from. Oh. Well, so. Yeah, they do. They do own some pretty good shirts. Yeah, uh, one of the like, yeah, consistent mental visuals in my head is of my bandmates, my male bandmates ironing their shirts backstage, oh. pre-show. Yeah, that's something I don't do. I don't. It's I don't like to iron. No, I'd rather just wear wrinkly clothes. Yeah, no, I iron my work clothes. That's about it. Otherwise, I wouldn't own an iron or an ironing board. Yeah, they're bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so you guys, uh, you mentioned that you take breaks with the band i guess like you don't play too many shows yeah. so how long like if you had a three or four month break for example and you get back into rehearsals how long does it take you to pick things back up to the point where you're show ready does it just sort of come back in a flash in a song or two like you're you're all back in the zone or does it take a few rehearsals to pick it back up in terms of the pre-existing songs um it would just take one rehearsal like we it we pretty much just hop straight back into it um also because we've played them a million yeah. times um uh although we try not to make it just one rehearsal because i think it's better to you know f- feel more assured and also sometimes we'll be like oh let's play this bit differently let's jam out this middle section longer um but then bring it back to the middle like we'll sometimes ex- experiment a little bit or sometimes um we'll try things and then they won't work out um so so it is better to have to have more than one even if one will suffice um at the moment we're like learning a bunch of new songs so that's so we're we're rehearsing more intensely yeah and um you mentioned you played a Hunters and Collectors cover over in Russia. Do you play covers as a bit of a habit wherever you go based on where you are or do you sort of take a bit of home with you overseas, like playing an Australian band cover? Um, that wasn't something we factored in really. Right. Like we've also covered – on the same tour we covered um, a song called – Last Words by a band called 23 Skidoo. Um, I think they're relatively obscure. You know how it's really hard to tell whether a band is popular or not? Like, because yeah. some of our, like a lot of our um, musical, biggest musical influences 
are acts that we've ended up playing with and getting to know because when your influences come from the 80s then they're all still alive <laughs> like yeah. um and um yeah so they they were one of our kind of influences um yeah we don't we didn't used to play that many covers we might add more in the future um but no we haven't really tailored them to the location yep. we just play what what feels good so they're obviously recognisable, like with a Hunters and Collectors song. Obviously, that's not, they're not really a dance sort of band, but when you guys play that sort of stuff, um, you can still hear that it's that song. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, yeah. whereas in contrast, um, me and Simona in Sad, we cover a Trifford song and the only, pretty much the only thing linking it to the original is that my delivery of the vocals is fairly similar, mm. but it's a techno cover. Yeah. Um, so it's still the same vocal melody. Yeah. And the singing style is quite similar as well, but everything else is totally different. Whereas um, the Nozu Hunters and Collectors cover, um, it keeps like some of the, the percussion elements, but then it'll like, then we'll kind of filter it through the Nozu sound. Um, and there's also a kind of like counterpoint of male and female vocals as well, which the original doesn't have. Um, but it's pretty much, it's, well, I'm pretty sure it's fairly clear when we play it that it's ta- talking to a stranger by t- hunters and collectors. Cool. Yeah. Um, so Nozu um, released the second album, Afterlife, in 2016 through uh, Chapter Music, your record label. Yeah. You're still with them? Yeah, still with them. Um, currently working on the third album. Um, yeah, we've released – it's a third album, but we've had lots of other releases. Like we've released a bunch of tapes and like some EPs and other things along the way. Um, but we're only about three or four songs deep into the third album it's going to take a while because yeah. a, a nozu your average nozu song has a lot of tracks in it um but we will be releasing some stuff um like before the album's out just because we want to yeah yeah so you guys are still of the belief that albums are the way to go in your genre of music mm. you don't see any value in releasing eps and stuff with you with your sort of music? Mm, I don't know. I think I think because our fans are such intense music lovers, they're the kind of uh, music listeners who buy vinyl yeah. um, and like go to a lot of shows and, and things like that and collect, yeah, collect vinyl. Um, I, I definitely don't see... Um, a lack of value in EPs. Um, like me and Simona's uh, album, uh, the sad album, was originally, we were unsure if it was going to be an EP or an album, but then lengthwise it became it became an album. Um, I think maybe with an, with an EP, it's harder to, cons- like, to fully have just like the space to like fully flesh out the concepts that you Mm. come up with Um, because not that we write concept albums, but each album 
that's come out has had its own feel, its own look. Um, the cover art is like, you know, significant to us. Um, and maybe with an EP, there's less room to express that. Mm. But I definitely don't, I definitely, you know, when bands I love release EPs, I'm, I definitely get excited yeah. about it. But it, I guess it does beg the question of whether the album format itself is relevant at all uh, these days. I think in um, like the circles of like relatively underground music, yes. But then, you know, an artist like Beyonce could just release single after single and after, after single and her career wouldn't suffer from that. No. Yeah. But with uh, Nozu, by the sounds of it, whenever you guys do, whenever you guys do something, it's big on a bigger scale. So obviously you could probably get more out of an album than, uh, you know, sort of any indie artist um, just playing sort of random shows here and there. You guys probably tour the album and yeah. uh, do big shows surrounding it. And yeah. Probably, and, yeah. And we can like release a bunch of singles from it, yeah. which means getting to make a bunch of music videos, mm. um, which are hard work, uh, like labor intensive and expensive and stuff. But it's an opportunity to express, to further express you know, the concepts of behind the albums um, and express like, cause our visual side is super important to us. Like yeah. we'll, we've, we have entire Facebook threads just talking about clothes. Um, not just because it's, it's not like we sit down being like, you know, um, planning out the concept in a super serious way. It's, 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 it's that because we just really like, clothing mm. yeah not in like a high fashion kind of way but just in a we enjoy we enjoy dressing up we're just all very performative um people maybe to an annoying extent and <laughs> just all, all real type a um razzle dazzle types <laughs> <laughs> enjoy ironing shirts and such yeah enjoying ironing shirts and then um sweating them out on stage yeah <laughs> um so tonight um We've got um, in the middle of the table here. Um, so Daphne came over for dinner, and uh, Tahani cooked dinner. It was lovely, and it was lovely. Yeah. And um, Tahani uh, is also from Muses of Mystery um, in the city there, and she's done a little. Um, um, help me out here. <laughs> small uh, altar uh, of sorts. Small altar of sorts in the middle of the table, in between Daphne and I. Um, so check out the photos that I'm going to upload on Instagram and such. Um, oh yes, featuring Daphne's new perfume. Let's go on to that. Yeah. So you've released a new a new perfume. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cause normally I make um, custom perfumes for people. Um, and then in the past, I had some perfumes um, stocked at Mr. Kitley in Brunswick. Um, but this is probably the most like, like kind of like deeply conceptualized um, perfume I've made for retail. Um, and it's called Sodace. And it's Sodace in Portuguese. It's a word that doesn't have an English equivalent. And it kind of means like a, a nostalgic yearning for moments that have passed. Um, 
So like lost loves or like childhood memories, or, you know, thinking of like your childhood home that doesn't exist anymore and things like that. Um, and the closest English equivalent one writer wrote was um, they described Sodace as the love that remains. Um, and I think scent, like as as one of the senses, very much embodies that that feeling of Sodace. You know, when you smell something and it takes you back immediately yeah. um, to childhood or to like past relationships or or to moments like both good and bad. Um, so yeah, that was the the concept behind the scent. Um, and it took kind of, it took me three goes to, to make a final version that I was happy with. I mean, maybe to the, to some people, each one wasn't particularly different from the first, but I was just very picky. Um, but it's because my, my scents are all natural. So they're made of like natural tinctures that I hand make, um, and then natural like absolutes and essential oils. They go through like a like a start to finish from top note mid note base note in a much more discernible way than commercial perfumes do um and i think the great um the great part of having it stocked in a retail space like muses is then people can try it mm. and because it's going to react differently on everyone's skin um Whereas when people commission a custom perfume off me, they are taking a slight leap of faith because they're buying something that they've never smelt before. Mm. And luckily, like, I've been lucky enough that people have been really happy with the scents that I've made them. But with this, um, with Sodace, like, people can actually go in and try it and then see how it wears before they buy it, which is, I think, a, a wholly different experience to the custom perfume experience. Mm. Wow. So um, people actually um, commission you to make uh, their own perfume based on what what do they what sort of information do they give you for you to go on and make that? A lot of people they apologize in advance and they're like, "Sorry, I'm really bad at describing scents," and then they describe it quite clearly and and um, articulately to me. They'll be like, "I don't like." fruity scents i do like woods i i like rose i don't like uh you know cinnamon or whatever so in to me they're actually very descriptive and very um like i think they've all been very upfront about what their likes and dislikes are and i told them to be as abstract as they wish to be when describing them or as concrete as they like. So so some people will say, like, I'm, I'm imagining the colour green and blue. I'm imagining, like, w- water and flowers and green, but also I like citrus, but I don't like sandalwood. And I'm like, cool, I can work with that. Um, and other people, they will say, um, you know, I'm, I usually wear this or that perfume – I used to wear this one, but I didn't. I don't like it anymore. Um, and yeah, people, different people give me different amounts of information, but it's always been 
a wholly adequate amount, regardless of like the the descriptors that they use. Yeah. So are they just telling you what they do and don't like, or are some getting a bit more in depth, saying, uh, you know, they're trying to conjure up old memories. You know, sort of what you were talking about before. Do some people give you that? Like, yes, actually, they're trying to recreate. Um, or go back to maybe not recreate, but be inspired by. Right. Like, I made one for a friend, and he was imagining. Um, I think his memory was of, um, riding his bike in. Oh, I can't remember if it was like Croatia or the Czech Republic. It was somewhere in Europe and smelling pine trees and like the salty sea air. Um, and obviously I can't recreate that <laughs> like <laughs> photographically. Yeah. Um, but I did include like pine and kind of like salty notes and, and like lemon for freshness. Um, Cause I, what I, the, the, the sense I got from it was that it should be quite a light kind of scent. Um, and, yeah, but not many, like, not many people have specifically asked me to, to you know, recreate a memory. Right. It's more that they want me to recreate um, just the kind of sense that they like. I think people are pretty clear on what they like and don't like scent wise. Um, and I'm also pretty upfront about what I, what the limitations of natural scents are. Like there are certain scents that can't really be replicated naturally. Um, like around the turn of the century, um, when perfume kind of became more mass marketed, and available to people beyond like the richest of rich people was when synthetics were introduced around the same time that like Chanel number five was introduced. Um, And by, by making the sense synthetic, they made them more affordable. And some of the main notes in synthetic sense that people smell and like are aldehydes um, and aldehydes are like a typical aldehyde is that like kind of baby powder, powdery scent um, that Chanel no- number five has. Um, another example is like the smell of like fresh linen. That that's that one is something that can't really be recreated naturally. Things that almost smell too good to be true. Yeah. Um, so. Um, but there's also things that I I thought could not necessarily be replicated naturally which ended up being totally possible like I thought leather notes um were not so possible um I've always been able to do smoky notes but then until I got my hands on some um like more obscure essential oils like that that I found that really exciting um and they were actually uh like resins like because because Tehani was just burning some frankincense here and one of the Leathery notes. Um, the two the two essential oils were choya ral and choya loban, and one of them is a form of frankincense, and another is um, not a frankincense, but like frankincense, it's a tree resin, so like a tree sap. Um, 
and they smell super leathery. So that kind of, uh, when I discovered those, I was like, cool, I can create all these like super leathery smoky perfumes. Like I can do like new car smell. Like, um, so the great thing about, um, being commissioned perfumes by people is being challenged by their requests and I will often go out and buy specific ingredients just to make their perfumes because in all likelihood I'll use those ingredients again in other perfumes that I make. Yeah. So do you have a real acute sense of smell? Um, I would say no more than your average person. Right. Probably not as much as like a professional nose as in like um, a molecular perfumer who works at like – you know, with synthetic perfumes um, at the level of, like, chemistry. Um, you know, those those kind of people who can tell, like, which part of France um, a particular lavender essential oil has come from. Almost like the perfume version of, like, a sommelier. Um, is that how you pronounce it? No idea. <laughs> Wine person? <laughs> no idea. Um, um, th- I, I don't think I have a stronger sense of smell than other people, but I do have a very sensitive nose. Like if I don't right. like the smell of something, yeah, I'm very much very repelled by it. Right. And um, like if I don't like the smell of someone, like <laughs> pheromo- pheromonally, yeah. like even if they're like really good looking and really great, like um, that 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 creates a barrier of sorts. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, it yeah. made all this talk sort of made me think of, um, no doubt you're aware of it. I should have studied up a little bit more on it before I bring it up. But um, there was a song by Nirvana called Scentless Apprentice. I don't know it. No? Okay. So it was. Um, I've just sort of Googled it to get my, uh, my facts a bit more straight here. So it was inspired by the novel Perfume, mm. which was made into a movie as well, I believe. Yeah, that was actually watching that and reading that book was one of the big things that got me into making right. perfume and then I ended up visiting grass where um the story is set and where it's basically the perfume capital of france but i'm, I'm gonna have to need to hear this song i will show you this song yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah i think tahani and i watched the movie and she's like this is uh basically what that song's based on i'm like i had no idea mm. so um and i think let me just read this i think Oh, so yeah, so he had um, his name was Patrick Suskind, um, a man born with an amazing sense of smell, but no smell of his own. What the hell does that mean? He his body had no oh, smell. Right. Yeah. Have you seen the movie? Yeah, we watched it. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah so he basically enflourages dead girls. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. Because so, um. Becomes a murderer of young girls. Is that right? Yeah, he murders them and on, on, uses like the traditional technique of enfleurage. So covers them in oil and then scrapes the oil off oh, them. Man. And then what you do in perfumery is you wash that oil through alcohol, right. which then distills the scent. So traditionally, you don't do it with dead girls. You do it with flowers <laughs> and you kind of have like what almost looks like a screen printing frame, yeah. like a wooden frame with like a base. Um, and then 
back in those days, they would cover it with a layer of animal fat. And these days, um, people still, like some perfumers still do it. Like it's a kind of niche kind of pursuit. Um, sometimes they'll do it with like these days with like scent, scent-free coconut oil, like coconut oil with the coconut smell removed. Um, but back then it was animal fat. And they would place flowers like magnolia or jasmine, the ones that die really quickly, um, onto the fat, leave them there until, just until they're wilting and then keep replenishing them with more flowers until the fat is infused with the smell of those flowers and then, um, yeah, distill that to get the essence of those flowers because they would do that with flowers that cannot withstand the um, process of the usual process of creating essential oils, which is either like steam distillation or solvent extraction. And with some del- very delicate flowers like um, magnolia, jasmine, particularly the, like the white flowers, the ones that go brown really easily, um, they can't withstand that, um, that kind of essential oil process. So enfleurage was the way to go back then. Right. Yeah. Wow, it's pretty uh, fascinating yeah, stuff. it's something that I really want to try on florage. It's something I haven't tried yet. Another technique I want to try is smoke on florage, which is same thing, but instead of putting flowers, infusing fat with the scent of flowers, it's infusing fat with the scent of different types of smoke, like fragrant smoke. Um, so that's something I want to try in the future. All right. So this perfume we've got here tonight, what's it called? Sorry. It's called Sodace. Is this your first perfume or? Like first retail perfume? Well, yeah. Um, Well, I I had two on sale at Mr. Kitley in the past because I was in a scent-themed exhibition a few years ago at Mr. Kitley Um, and I created two perfumes for that exhibition and one, the concept behind one of them was that I wanted to take a and bad smelling essential oil and create a nice smelling perfume out of it. So I took uh, the essential oil I used was called um, Choya something. Was it Choya Ral? I can't remember. Mm. Um, but it's essential oil of roasted seashells and it smells like petrol. Um, and I created an oil perfume from from that um i added i think rosewood green tea absolute um lang lang what else vanilla oh definitely vanilla um and and then just a minute amount of that petrol kind of smell <laughs> um and that that one was quite popular and then i created a jasmine based um perfume the spray perfume um so, but th- those were just a very limited run. Um, but this is kind of the most uh, the m- the most involved perfume I've made for for retail sale. Right. Yeah. So it's got like a, it's it's got a long list of ingredients. Yeah. If you I can read it out if yeah, you yeah. like. Um, handmade orris root tincture. So orris root smells kind of like violets. Um, and it's also I use orris root and also benzoin, which is also a resin tree sap. Um, 
because they help the scents adhere to the skin because that's the kind of problem with natural perfume is that there's a lack of longevity because they just evaporate and dissipate so quickly whereas commercial perfumes are like designed to linger on the skin um, and they also are designed to have a lot more scent throw in perfumery it's known as sillage like the way you know you step into an elevator someone's exited and like it still smells like yeah. their cologne which mm-hmm. is something that i personally don't like um the rest of the perf the ingredients list um cucumber hydrosol so cucumber water essential oils of amber amaris pedigrain frankincense green heartwood lavender cedarwood neroli and brett seed clary sage labdanum absolute and oak moss absolute um, I would say labdanum absolute is probably one of the like prevailing biggest scent notes in this scent. It's a very ambery, um, resinous, sweet without being sickly, very like skin friendly kind of scent. Like at first it's just like a hit of orris root. So it's just like a powdery hit of violet, but then that dissipates pretty quickly. Um, but the labdanum, labdanum just sits very nicely with the skin. I think it just... um. I think all resins do in general. They just kind of um, meld nicely with the natural components of like human skin. Mm. And yeah, I've got to say, like um, finding aftershave for myself, like a, a nice smelling sort of scent, is very hard to find. Yeah. Um, without it being too overbearing. Um, and you know, messing with my sinuses and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Um, so, um, is that a necessary product though? Aftershave? Uh, I mean, like a, a cologne sort of thing. Sorry. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, I mean, I like to s- try and smell nice. Yeah. So I don't, yeah. um, you know, turn people away and stuff. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I might have to get you to make me something. Yeah, well, there's more. I would say if if a fear of being uh, overpowering <laughs> with the scent is a motivator, then definitely natural, I think, is the way to go. Yeah. Um, because they just sit closer to the skin. Right. Yeah. And then you can smell like, especially with custom perfumes, you, perfumes, you can smell like something that no one else smells like. Yeah. That'd be nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So that's available at... Muses of Mystery. Yep. In yeah, the city. exclusively at, at Muses of Mystery. Cool. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, at the start of the podcast here, um, those tuning in, tuning in, you may have uh, noticed we did the little podcast intro and then we went straight into a song. Um, that song, I've got to say, has had me hooked for the last probably week, week and a half, two weeks. Um, there's something about it for me that's quite... Uh, I don't know, I guess hip, hypnotic a little bit and it's just been stuck in my head partly because it's not something I would usually listen to but um, yeah, something about it that's just really caught me. So that's the new song um, by your other project, Sad. Yep. Is that the new song that you've got? Yeah, new single released super recently and our, uh, before that we released our first single last year. Yeah, so it's been a year between singles um, and we finished uh, our first album. It's called Saturn Rules the Material World, but that won't be released till early next year. Yeah. Right. So will that 
uh, the track that we played, by the way, it's called Don't Go, which uh, you've, you've released a video for as well. Yeah. 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 Um, available on Bandcamp. Yep. Bandcamp, Spotify, Apple Music. Yep. Uh, Pretty much all those sort of platforms. Yeah, all those. All good streaming platforms. Yeah. SoundCloud. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Will that be on the new album? Yeah, that'll be on the new album. Um, the first single, which was called The Poets of Antiquity, that will also be on the, the on the album. Um. I'm dying to release the album because, like, I don't want to wait too long because then otherwise there'll be old songs. Yeah. Um, and I'm very happy with it. Um, yeah, we both we both um, are very happy with it. And, um, yeah, Don't Go was probably one of the first songs that we wrote. That, that and our first single, like, I think – I always think the best songs are the ones that almost write themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that one would have started with the beat, yeah. the drum machine. Is that on a drum machine that you uh, – or a synth? Synth. Synth. I think, I believe. Oh. Yeah, because Simona is responsible oh, for right. that. She, she, is, uh, she, she is very, very good yeah. at making beats. Yep. Yeah. So this, this project is um, what, band, this band? Yeah, call it a band? it's a band. Yeah. Um, it's just yourself and Simona? Yep. Um, sort of electronic and what did you say earlier? Was it goth? Um, minimal wave goth. Minimal wave. Yeah. yeah. So goth, goth, not not so much in the Sisters of Mercy, Clan of Zymox style. More in the Joy Division, New Order. Yeah. Kind of style. It's got that eighties sort of vibe. Yeah. In that song in particular. Yeah, totally. Definitely the guitars. Yep. And some of the beats, um, but then we kind of extrapolate upon that and add our own, add our own um, style into it. Yeah, yeah. And are they your vocals on that song? Yeah, yeah. yeah I do all the singing in Sad. We kind of stick to our roles in Sad, um, which works really well. Like um, Simona does the programming and the beats, um, and plays guitar, and then I add a little bit of extra synth and do the vocals and write the lyrics um, and the vocal melodies. Although there is one song um, where she wrote the lyrics and vocal melodies, but um, it's so like she wrote it with me in mind and when I sing it, it feels so close to me that it, I feel like I wrote it. Wow. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and do you guys, are you playing shows with this band? Yeah, you played shows, yeah. Yeah, we we don't play super often mm. um, because Simona's got her own solo project as well. Yeah. Um, but we recently played a show. We played a show last weekend, um, supporting Sui Chen at Howler. Um, we've gigged quite a bit in the last year and a half, um, and supporting some bands we really love, like some kind of like-minded bands, local bands, like. Um, underground lovers and black cab who we're both big fans of um and then we've got a single launch coming up uh november 4th at um monday night mass at northcote social club um with cass kiley and infragross supporting um i'm always i've always been a big fan of northcote social club in general and monday night mass gigs i think they're like 
they're a great opportunity just for all types of bands to play. It's almost like the way the tote is like a great stomping ground for all types of bands from bands just starting out to established bands to play. I think mm. both those venues are really great in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. I remember playing the tote back in the day, uh, back out in the main room there with the band. And then I played this solo show in the front bar, but like it was in between, it was in between the front bar, almost under the staircase. Oh, okay. Um, that was with Valentine. Okay. Years ago, yeah. Um, so it was almost it was on the on the way into the into the back room, um, walking away from the front bar. So I was like, now I think there's a, I think that area is the kitchen now. Yeah, it's possibly. probably all different now. Yeah. And then they got the upstairs room, which is really yeah. hot up there. <laughs> yeah, I've played up. I've played upstairs yeah. there. I, I don't think I've played the front, but I've definitely played upstairs, and mm. I've played. The band room. Mm. Never thought the day would come that the tote would do food and good food as well. Is that recent? In the last few years. Yeah. Last three or four years. Yeah. I haven't been there for... I'm trying to think of the last time I was there. I can't remember now. Yeah, I used to go a lot more yeah. in the past when I lived closer to it. Yeah. Um, it was definitely one of my first places that I gigged. I think the first venue I ever gigged at when I was 20... I think it was the Empress. Oh, yeah. And then followed by either the Tote or like Gertrude's ba- brown, brown Couch, couch. <laughs> which is now that Philly cheese steak catfish place. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. catfish. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, Where was your first oh, gig? I don't know. It might have been like the barley corn or something like that. Did you? But did you play gigs as a teenager as well? Mm, no, I was sort of... Early twenties, maybe oh, yeah. maybe twenty. Yeah. So yeah. I wish I had a got into it sooner. Like I was playing guitar, just at home and stuff, you know, since I was twelve. But didn't start a band till probably nineteen twenty. Yeah. So I I wish I had started that whole thing. Same here. Earlier. I wouldn't have been allowed to though. But my two of my bandmates played in teenage bands together. Yep. And then our old bass player also played with them. Um, and you know, they played like battle of the bands and like underage gigs and, yeah. and now one of them or Nick, um, is now a youth worker and putting on freezer gigs and stuff. So it's like, uh, come, he's come full circle. Yeah. Um, well they were great back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. You know, even as like as a fan and as a band. Yeah. And it's also a great, well, it's a great way. Well, it's a great thing for kids to go to. Yeah. Yeah. For keeps sure. them stimulated. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I wish I wish I'd had that head start of playing yeah. in teenage bands because like it took I feel like it took me a long time to um get to like a passable level as a like live performing musician. Yep. Um between the age of like twenty and my mid twenties. Yeah. I wish I could have um, you know, discreetly fumbled through that when I was in my adolescence. Yep. <laughs> I agree with that. Like <laughs> Um, that's why I feel like I've got a lot of time to make up for now because, uh, <laughs> although it's not like starting, <laughs> starting like playing live music at between the age of 20 to 25, that's actually not that old or anything. Not really. No, but you know, a lot of, a lot of people, you know, can start a bit earlier than that and work out those kinks. Yeah. But Leonard, I, Leonard Cohen didn't start gigging till he was in his thirties. Mm, yeah. 
I don't think I would have had the mentality. I, I barely had the mentality in my twenties. Maybe I'm undercutting myself a bit there, but <laughs> well, to take it, I took it serious, but uh, also didn't take it as maybe as focused as I would have liked to now. Yeah. Yeah, always took it serious, but I could have focused a lot more, I think. I think it takes, well, as we get older, you learn like better organisational skills and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because, you know, these days I'm trying to do things better all the time and focus more and it's, to be honest, it's never good enough, but. (laughs) <laughs> that's a, a work in being progress very, being very modest there yeah. well i think like you know excessive pride and hubris on the extreme end or um complacency are kind of the can be the downfall of very young people um when we're young we think we have all the time in the world um and then as we get older we realize we don't and then we realize that we're surrounded by talented people and you're like, oh, I better better step up my game. Yeah, especially in Nozu. Like, <laughs> oh, I am definitely one of the least technically profession- proficient <laughs> in the band. Um, I've, I'm, I've, I've come to be quite comfortable with that. Yeah, I don't think you want a band full of those sort of people. Because then it just becomes like... Not to put them down, of course. But totally, yeah. yeah. And, and luckily... Um, like i i love playing with such technically um gifted people because it challenges me um but and i also like that they come from like you know their favorite bands are not necessarily my favorite bands yeah. whereas like um my like the kind of founding core members of nozu well the ones who've been in it you know since like 2009 or 10 or so we tend to have this core kind of base of influences that we come from. But I think the fact that we all come from different influences is our strength. Um, but yeah, if we, if everyone came from that kind of like jazz background, then it, then it becomes Melbourne jazz festival. Kind mm. of, nothing wrong with Melbourne jazz festival, but no. that's not what we're going for. <laughs> I think as long as you can, uh, you know, having different, different influences in any band is a good thing. As long as you can, pull it all together and make it something yeah instead of just being a mismatch of yeah i think with me and simona in sad in comparison our 80s influences are very similar yeah yeah like we'll just like jive in the car on the way to gigs to the same music like um but but i mean obviously there's a lot of stuff i listen to that she doesn't listen to and vice versa but um i think stylistically we i think the reason we we write songs very quickly together is because of the, like the very intrinsically shared influences um but that said we're writing like three and a half minute verse chorus verse songs which is something i've pretty much never done before in any band i've been in um hence them kind of being written a little bit more swiftly yeah. So what are some of your influences? Um I like very lyrical music. Um so as I mentioned before I love Leonard Cohen. Um but I'm also a massive pop music fan. I'm mm. very very into pop music. 
because of all that they have at their disposal to make the music that they make. Yep. So I really like Lana Del Rey. I like Bieber. I like the K-pop group BTS. Um, I like Frank Ocean. Um, but I also grew up on like punk and post-punk. So um, a lot of like female influences in my adolescence, like Patti Smith, PJ Harvey, stuff like that. Um, but also like 1977 punk. Um, and I definitely um, left my adolescence with that kind of bratty attitude, I would say. Yeah. Um, post-punk, definitely. Um, I like shoegaze a lot as well. I think me and Simona both like shoegaze a lot. Um, I actually don't listen to that much dance music. For mm. someone who plays in like a dancey band that plays a lot of dancey festivals and is managed by like a management team that mostly manages dance acts and <laughs> DJs, I don't actually listen to that much dance music. I like yeah. disco. Um, techno, I mean... It's just not what I listen to at home when I'm chilling out. Like, but I do have an appreciation for it. Um, I I would like to say that out of most people I know, I listen to a really really wide array of music. Like I, um, I without wanting to sound up myself, I don't know as many people as I do who listen to as wide an array of music as I do yeah. from like the most mainstream of mainstream music to obscure. Um, and I just don't think there are, there exists like a highbrow, lowbrow divide between pop music and underground music anymore like pop artists like employ underground artists to like help make their art and their videos and it's a collaborative thing now the way like a blockbuster movie is a collaborative thing that no single person could ever create on their own um but yeah and i i i do really really like leonard cohen though because i like poetic lyrics um and I really like the band Girls, who were really popular around 2009 or 10. The tragedy of their music moves me a lot. Um, yeah, Shoegaze, My Jesus and Mary Chain. Mm. Yeah. Um, and also growing up, I also really liked... You know, all the seminal um, alt-rock bands of the era like Smashing Pumpkins and Hole and yep. things like that. Okay. Yeah. So, you said you stumbled into your first band or just stumbled into music uh, as a performer in general? Yeah. How'd that happen? <laughs> well, I was in my final year of uni and a couple of my friends were like, there is this queer thing happening, like a... I wouldn't say festival, like it was like a a series of events um, and they're like, do you want to form a band and perform at it? And these were non-musicians from no musical background. I was the only one who had a musical background. So it was like purely performative, shambolic. Most people wouldn't even call it music. Uh, it was more performance-based. Um but there were still like words and 
Um, I mean, it was more no wave than no wave. Um, and it was both like, like it was, I mean, it, fine to make that kind of music at like 19 or 20. But if someone's making that music at 30, it's like you're a bad musician. <laughs> like, um, yeah, it was very of its of its time. Um, but I didn't, I didn't pursue it with any aspirations or ambitions. I was just having fun with my friends. Um, and then from there, like having a lot of musician friends, um, my friend Matt asked me to come jam with, um, the band that he and some of our friends played in, um, called Rat vs. Possum. And then I joined that band and then I was in that band for a few years until, um, it broke up. And then a bunch of us, um, who were in Rat vs. Possum are now in, Nozu. So the two bands overlapped. Like there was a point at which I was in both bands. Um and that band was quite I played synth and sang in that band and that and a bit of percussion. And that band was quite harsh on my vocals. And Nozu is also quite harsh on my vocal cords. So that was at that point in um that was quite rough at that point, losing my voice a lot. Yeah. Have you had vocal training ever? I did some classical training, uh, classical lessons when I was in high school. I come from like a classical piano background, um, but I wasn't very good at it. Like I don't have a very high voice and also I don't actually like classical music that much. I mean, I don't dislike it. I like a few composers. I definitely appreciate it, but I don't listen to classical music at Mm. home. So I did classical piano because that's what you do when you're an Asian kid growing up. Your parents get you to learn either piano or violin. I think with the implication that it, um, it like enha- it's supposed to enhance your brain power. But uh, for me, it had the unintended consequence of turning me into a musician. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's good for the music chops, that's for sure. Yeah. Classical stuff. Yeah. Um, although I've forgotten all of it. I've forgotten all the theory and I've like forgotten a lot of the technique um so yeah I did a little bit of classical singing but I wasn't that good at it um but I'm also not a conventionally gifted singer um and then in the first couple of bands I was in I did not take the long term into account when it came to vocals and I just shredded my vocals and would screech and scream and holler um and now I'm paying the price for it because from the age of 22, I was diagnosed with vocal nodules. So that was 11 years ago. Right. Still got them. Um, and they've it's definitely changed the quality of my voice. Like um, I, recorded, I, I recorded a song for a, a friend's film and then I re-recorded it years later and my voice was completely different <laughs> even like i didn't see my relatives for 10 years and then i saw them and they were like what's with your voice like it's changed um but your voice does change anyway yeah do you reckon it was purely because of the the nodules probably both both it was already not like I've, I've never had a super high voice yeah um it's definitely but it, uh, it's definitely both it, but it's also the rate at which it wears out quickly, like even like 
a night of loud conversation in a bar and my voice will sound like gravel the next day. Oh, yeah. Well, that's worse than singing probably. Yeah. Well, they say whispering is re- is a really <laughs> yeah. bad way of trying to cope because I would whisper mm. or not speak on tour except until showtime because my voice was so ravaged. Mm. And in hindsight, um, well, I read that, um, yeah, whispering is actually not good for the voice. Do you know, part of the reason I started this podcast was um, because I like talking to other musos and stuff, but where do you normally see other musos? It's at gigs, right? Mm. And you usually got to yell, yeah, basically. Yeah. And kind of like you said before, I, I like a bit of space to yeah. myself and I don't like to yell and wear out my voice, particularly before sing, uh, before jumping on stage. Totally. So I kind of just hang back yeah. sometimes yeah. and I don't really get to have those conversations with people. Mm. So part of the idea of this podcast was so we could have a proper conversation and... In the comfort of your own yeah, home. <laughs> and not have to yell. Yeah. Um, I'm also like, I'm much more of a one-on-one person than I am yeah. a group person. I mean, I can get a, like, I have no social anxiety in a group. I find in group situations, I kind of go into this mode where I am trying to be aware of whether everyone is comfortable. Mm. So like if I see someone sitting back and they look really shy, I'll, I'll be like, I want to include them in the conversation. So I'm kind of in, I get into like mother hen mode. Yeah. Whereas one-on-one, I can just focus on one-on-one conversation with someone, but I've always got a mental list of like quiet bars in my head. Mm. Um, and even um, years ago, me and a few friends had this habit of going um, to hotel bars in the city just because they were quiet. Yeah. And the decor, well, some of them was were, were really bad. Like one of them looked like it was straight off the set of Seinfeld. Like, oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was actually kind of awesome. Yeah. Okay, maybe we should do a photo shoot there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we went there, we would go there, like we'd go to, we'd be at Pony or Boney and be like, really loud here like let's just sit somewhere quiet yeah go to these hotel bars even coffee shops you know cafes and stuff now are freaking loud yeah um and i'm just not much of a loud talker really yeah um or do you ever get that thing when people are shouting in your ear and it hurts your ear yeah rattles it a bit and it's like they've like someone's poked a stick too far in yeah yeah feels really unhealthy yeah so are you worried about your nodules or um, do you feel like they're sort of at bay at the moment? It's really hard to tell, to figure out at this stage what I should do about it because my bandmate, Maddie, um, the other vocalist in Nozu, she has had um, vocal nodule surgery and so she couldn't speak for three weeks. But she comes from a bit more of a professional singer background um, and – there have been cases like Julie Andrews lost her voice completely, her singing voice after having her nodules removed. Um, Björk had hers removed successfully. Um, and when I, I remember talking to Maddie about it and she said it's it's highly uncommon what happened to Julie Andrews. Mm. But I also factor in like how long will I keep doing music for? I would I would love for it to be to continue indefinitely keep playing music forever but how many people are playing underground music in their 50s lots some yeah (laughs) well my well simona's in her 
well, she's a little bit older than me and she's still like, I mean, her life is 10 times more energetic than mine. She's so prolific and productive. Um, yeah, it's weighing up like, is the surgery worth it? I would, I mean, ideally I would like Nozu to never end. I'd like to keep doing it when we're geriatric. Like, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, it is something that's always on my mind, especially on tour. It causes me a little bit of anxiety. Anxiety, yeah, I reckon. Yeah. Because yeah, you'd have that anxiety anyway, even if you were healthy, because yeah. the voice is a, a funny thing. Yeah, especially like flying. I'm like hyper aware of like the damage of breathing in that recycled air. Yes, yep. And then I get really um, neurotic about getting sick on tour because if my my only role in Nozu is singing and playing some percussion, so... Like, whereas the others, if they get sick, but they're not singing, they can yeah. get away with it. Yep. So, like, I won't share drinks with people. I'll wear, like, a face mask on the plane or sometimes even in the van. Mm. Um, I remember our tour manager was like, don't share drink bottles because if one of you gets sick, then you'll all get sick. Yeah, for sure. And then everyone got sick except me because I was neurotic. Ah. <laughs> I was a neurotic Virgo and I wouldn't do it. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's it's something that... Yeah, when you're a singer, especially if you're an idiosyncratic singer, you've got an idiosyncratic style that kind of like pushes your vocal cords. It it does cause like it's something that you end up having to think about as an instrument. Mm. Yeah. I know Nick, my bandmate, he sometimes loses his voice as well because his singing style is super idiosyncratic. Lots of like yelping and shouting and um, and he goes like – you know, he puts his all into belting it out. And I sometimes do as well. Sometimes you just can't help it. Like, you know, when you, when you know, like, um, intellectually that like 60 or 70% like, um, projection would suffice, but cause you're feeling it on stage and then you're just like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go for it. Yep. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. I mean, I think there's the, uh, the less, if you do it properly, you actually have to push less mm. sort of thing. And I often think about all these little vocal things that I've been told over the years, you know, by not, not pushing and just so many little tips and tricks. It does your freaking head in sometimes. Mm. Um, and it's it's a really hard thing to, to learn yeah. to sing properly yeah, and maybe, look after your voice. Maybe there needs to be like a... Sp- or maybe there already is a subset of vocal coaches specifically for idiosyncratic underground musicians who have wrecked their voices over the years. <laughs> there no doubt is. <laughs> I'm sure there is. There's all that sort of stuff on YouTube these days, which yeah. is pretty handy actually. Um, have you ever watched those like vocal coach reacts yes. to? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a couple of good ones. There's some people I just can't stand. Like yeah. they're just um, – there's one chick – she, I think she's Irish. I think her name is Beth Rose. Beth, Beth Rose. And, uh, yeah, she does some pretty cool ones. Yeah. And some don't really react to it at all. Like, they've got no technical input. No feedback. No, no, they're just literally reacting, but not in any sort of productive way to be able, uh, you know, no value in watching this video that they've uploaded. So, but yeah, I kind of find all that stuff interesting when they... Uh, review some of my favorite singers and stuff. Yeah. Um, Who are some of your favorite singers? Um, 
My two favourite would have to be Chris Cornell and Whitney Houston. Mm. I remember Tahani telling me you were devastated by Chris Cornell's death. Oh, yeah. Jeez. Because yeah. that, that was in my lifetime yeah. sort of thing. You know, a lot of others that have died over the years, um, you know, like Kurt Cobain and stuff. I mean, I was alive, but at that stage I wasn't a fan because yeah. I was young. Yeah. So I got into him sort of after the fact, but Cornell... Yeah, that was a big one. But yeah, but yeah definitely. Um, Whitney Houston. So are, yeah. you, are you a fan of like R&B pop yeah. in general? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I cross quite a few uh, different genres and eras as well and listen yeah. to a lot of different stuff. Yeah. Um, Do you like Mariah? Yeah, yeah. I earlier like, stuff. Yeah, earlier stuff for me as well. Um, in terms of like belters like diva belters i love ariana grande's voice yeah i used to not i used to just not know a lot about her and i didn't expect because of her visual appearance that she'd have such a huge voice um and also pop wise i love miley cyrus's voice yeah that's well she sung some um chris cornell stuff like a little while ago and she just belted the shit out of it. And um, she's just got a great country voice. Or like, if she just, yeah. even if she just stuck to country, she'd still be raking in millions. Yeah. Well, there's a song on the radio at the moment because at work, you know, I've just got the commercial radio on, and I just can't stand any more Gold 104 or Triple M because they just play the same. I mean, so do the other stations, but um, and I think we've got it on sort of Fox FM at the moment, yeah. and. So, you know, a lot of Taylor Swift and mm. all this sort of stuff. I'm not a fan of Taylor Swift. Oh, I love a couple of the new songs. Really? Yeah. And I didn't know they were her. So, yeah. you know, Shazam, Taylor Swift. I'm like, oh, shit. And I did that with a Miley Cyrus song. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Didn't know this was Miley Cyrus. Um, I can't even think of the song now. Was but it Nothing Breaks Like a Heart? Yeah. The Mark Ronson produced uh, one? Yeah, I think maybe. It's got a, it's kind of like country mixed with dance pop. Yeah, what's the chorus? Um, Nothing breaks like a heart. Mm-hmm. No, I don't think it is that actually. No, it's something else. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think what it is, but anyway, yeah, it sounds pretty cool. So, but you know, they're, for me, these sort of songs are more throwaway. You know, I'll like them for a little bit, but I'll once they go off the radio, yeah. that's probably it. Whereas, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff I grew up on, I'll always go back to that. Yeah, but I think everyone is like that with stuff they grew up on. Yeah. Like I'll definitely go back to stuff that I grew up on when I'm feeling a bit down or a bit delicate, yep. then I will go Absolutely. back to that stuff. Yeah, and that's yeah. where I like to listen to music. Yeah. Um, rather than in a festival mm. scenario surrounded by people. Yeah. Um, that's more of a, a hangout experience. But when I need that comfort from music, I'm definitely going to be on my own. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's where I really appreciate music more so and even write. That's where I probably write yeah. music and yeah. get more creative. I think I do appreciate music the most yeah, in the same way when I'm by myself feeling introspective yep. or just getting through the day. Like um, whenever I'm at home, I'm almost always listening to music, whether I'm cleaning the house, cooking, doing anything. The minute I wake up, yep. I put music on. I listen to 
I listen to music when I shower. I listen to music when I brush my teeth. Yeah. Uh, it just makes life better. Um, but I do enjoy the gig experience as well for the the total immersion mm. and also like sonically. Like there are things you can – you I think you lose, uh, especially with band music – you can lose a little bit of like vocal clarity and like not hear the lyrics as well. Yeah. But then you'll hear like um, other other aspects like so loudly. Yeah. Um, and if you go with you know like good friends and you can share that experience and things like that. Yeah, it's definitely a positive thing. But um, yeah, I find music really hits me when I uh i'm introspective and or feeling depressed and that's when it really sort of hits me more so but and when i sort of write songs but at the end of the day i want to take those songs and play them for people so Mm. and you got to have that um that gig experience for that sort of thing so um well we didn't get to talk about aliens oh (laughs) that we didn't quite get there. Yeah, we didn't digress to that point. Mm. But um, I believe in them. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. UFOs, definitely a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I just think the likelihood that they don't exist is is wilder than the likelihood of them yeah. existing. Yeah. Like when you look at even just what we know of the cosmos out there, mm. what little we already know. Mm. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, it's a big topic. I mean, it's a big world here on Earth, but it's a big uh, space out there in space. Yeah. Bigger than we can even comprehend. I wonder what music aliens are making and what they think of our music. Ah. Do they think that we're j- it's does it just sound like we're like cave people? Like, like, as in, like, early humans, and they're, like, 10 million steps ahead. Yeah, where can it go from here? That's the thing. Music. Like, where can music go, like, sonically and, you know? Like, just, like, uh, just an average note that comes out of an alien's mouth is a binaural Maybe they've bit. created more notes. Maybe they've discovered more notes. They're, like, uh, semi, 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 semi tones. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Well, where do we find them? <laughs> Maybe oh. they're beyond our hearing range. That's a thing. Yeah. Maybe only like Maverick, your cat, can hear them. Yeah, which he's just joined us actually. He's just woken up from his nap, so he's under the table. If you can see him. Yeah, he was nuzzling my, my leg before. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I think when like when a cat like yep. gets up really suddenly and exits a room or a dog, a dog's ears perk up at nothing in particular, it's probably alien music that they're hearing. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's definitely a interesting topic, that's for sure, and I'm I'm pretty interested, I must say. But <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know how that all that's going to pan out, and how we're going to find out if we will find out or when. Elon Musk will figure it out yeah. for us. <laughs> yeah, once he once he stops getting sidetracked by sending cars into space and mm. trying to send submarines into Thai caves. Mm. Um, and focuses on what music aliens are making, yep. I think we can make great strides in humanity. I think we need a bit of a shift in music. What do you think? Like it's time for something to to change. I don't know. It's all... Uh, in terms of like mainstream pop music, I, I, I saw 
a link to a YouTube video. I didn't actually watch it, um, which was about – I think some of my friends shared it um, – which was about like the death of melody in in pop music. I think definitely of the EDM variety. Um, I would love for bands to come back in – in vogue in mainstream music. Mm. I mean, hip-hop's having its moment now, which I think is excellent. Um, There is so much great hip-hop and everything is hip-hop influenced, especially beat-wise. I think EDM needs to tone it it down a little bit. (laughs) I find the pop music um, has quite a bit of melody, really. That's kind of what catches me about some of these, uh, like Taylor Swift and... It's it's the melody, um, yeah, and some of the hooks in the choruses and stuff like that, and the interesting way they record some of those certain melodies, and mm. um, yeah, I think that's what catches me with some of these songs. I think um, your average like um, EDM number lacks that, mm. like the kind of like stereosonic festival kind of um but in terms of these like singers these like songwriter type artists they've got a lot it's what i love about k-pop because there's um you can hear the inherent asianness in Mm. the music so even though it's like pop music with um with hip-hop dance hall um you know r&b influences just like you know, Western pop, like they, they use more pentatonic melodies and they use more like um, I especially like K-pop songs that use traditional Korean or Chinese instrumentation mm. um, and use like phrases used in their folk music because they're very proud of their own culture. Yeah. But sometimes it's it's hard for me to describe um, what I mean by I can hear the inherent Asian-ness of the music because it's not like – it's not like a gong sounds and then yeah. like someone plays like a you know xylophone or something in like a pentatonic scale. Sometimes yes there's literally yeah like um Chinese flutes and stuff in it. But it's um like the, these kind of tinkling melodies it's it's hard to describe mm. but it's something I really like. And the phrasing too I think from yeah. what I've heard. Yeah and I guess phrasing is informed by language so like yeah. the language would inform that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so have you played in any of these Asian countries at all? No, but I would love to. Yeah. I would really, really love to tour Japan because yeah. I think Japan has a really, really fertile music scene. They have um, a lot of metal over there. Yeah. And Still a lot got the Ozzy Osbourne DVD where they played at the uh, Budokan. Oh, really? Uh, back in the 90s. I'm like, what the hell? You know, when I was younger, I'm like, what's he doing in Japan? And Guns yeah. N' Roses too. Yeah. You know, the Japanese m- music market is huge. Yeah. Um, and also they have great bands. Um, and the music scene, particularly in Osaka, is really big. Um, and it's... I mean, even even for K-pop artists, Japan is a huge market. Like, most of them will have Japanese versions of their songs. So they'll learn their songs in um, – we're just laughing because the cat's having some kibble loudly in the background. Um, hey, bro, keep it down. Such a noisy eater. Chew with your mouth closed. Um, they They will learn their songs in Korean and then they will learn their songs in Japanese – 
and then perform them in Japanese because the Japanese market is massive. And then sometimes uh, they'll even have an English version of the song, which will be like maybe 30% English lyrics, 70% Korean, which I think is incredible. Like imagine getting on stage and being like, today I have to – I have to sing and dance this song in Korean and then in a few months I have to go to Japan and perform the same song in Japanese and then I'm going to fly to America and do it in English like I think that's quite like quite a feat oh yeah yeah but um yeah I'd love to I'd love to tour Japan I've heard um that there's a really fertile music scene in Indonesia particularly Jakarta um Korea Hopefully, Tai like I'd love to go to Taiwan. My uncle lives there, and he he's in the like music industry. Um, sadly, Hong Kong, where I'm from, no music no, scene not at all. Um, or just at the moment, there never really has been, to my knowledge. Um, even friends who've been, who tried to find it, couldn't find that kind of like a uh, you know, like a community-minded music scene. Um, There's a DJ scene and like a club scene. Um, But there was like one or two venues that got shut down. There's a music festival called Clock and Flap. And for the first couple of years, they had to make it free so that people would actually go. It's just not a counterculture city. It's like it's a city of commerce. Um, But interestingly, mainland China has a really um, strong hip-hop scene, particularly around Sichuan. Um, But they have a very anti-hip-hop stance because it's, you know, decadent Western music. But there is one band, Higher Brothers, um, who have a song that has, like, slipped past the senses – it's called Made in China. And so it's all like my gold watch made in China because <laughs> indirectly it's talking China up. It's saying everything's made in China and we're proud of it. Yeah. So that one song, the Chinese sense is like, we're cool with that song. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Hearing, uh, we better not go there, but. Politics. <laughs> oh, not even that so much. Just like, because you said hip hop's not, um, not big in China yet. They love the NBA. Mm. Um and that's that's huge over there. That I think hip hop is huge amongst the youth. It's just the government that doesn't right, like it. Right? Yeah. 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 I didn't realize the NBA was so big in in China. I didn't know that either. It's just huge. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Is it because um, like Jeremy Lin would have? Is he Chinese or Taiwanese? I can't oh, remember. It's that. Um, As in his like background. Oh, I'm not sure. There is a, a Chinese player that went to play for I think the Houston Rockets. Mm. I can't remember his name. Anyway, I think yeah, he was a big part of it. But yeah, they're pretty big on soccer in Hong Kong because mm. of the British roots. Right. Yeah. Cool. Um, but I would love, I would love to tour Asia so much, particularly Japan. What about yeah. Vietnam? I heard, I think a friend of mine, or friend of a friend, was going to Vietnam to play some shows. I don't know to what, yeah, you know, size, but. Oh, I'd I'd love to know more about it. Like, yeah. I'd love to um, I'd love to tour any anywhere that I can. Like um, yeah. like I've known lots of bands who've toured Eastern Europe, um, yeah, and I especially find yeah places where bands don't typically tour as much. Audiences are so appreciative, and um, 
you know, because Melbourne is so spoilt for choice with music that they can have a bit of like a arms folded kind yeah. of mentality, like <laughs> just like, yep. Like, um, whereas other places are much more earnest sometimes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anywhere, anywhere that, that will have us mm. and accept what we do. Any touring on the cards for, for SAD? I hope so. Yeah. It'd have been e- easier to take around. Oh, it'd be so, so much easier. Yeah. yeah so much easier. Um, yeah. God, just being at the airport with no zoo, we have to do head counts and like, um, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of gear. Um, but yeah, touring with SAD would be great. I would really like to do that. Yeah. Maybe when the uh, album drops i hope so so next year yeah hopefully hopefully early next year cool yeah so for the moment um you've got a couple of tracks available is that right two 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 singles yeah yeah um but yeah definitely go and check out that track that we played at the start of the podcast play that a couple of times and then tell me it's not stuck in your head (laughs) when you wake up and (laughs) shit it's funny because it's actually very different to our other songs, it's pretty much the only song where my vocals are very loud and strident. Yeah. Yeah. The rest of the rest of the album, my vocals are a little bit more low key. Um, but it just felt right to sing like that on that song. Yeah, it definitely suits yeah. it. Thank you. Um All right. So where can we where can we find you? Where can we look you up? Well, we're 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 on all the socials. Yeah. Um our SAD's Instagram is Sad Simona and Daphne, because when your band name, band name is Sad, it, it's yeah. a bit broad, so you got to kind of like differentiate it somehow. We're also Sad Simona and Daphne on Facebook. Um, no Zoo is No underscore Zoo underscore Beat on Insta. Zoo being Z U. Yeah, Z U. Yeah. Um, and then if anyone wants to check out my perfume stuff, um, I'm Daphne Kampf on Instagram. So D-A-P-H-N-E-C-A-M-F um, and Daphne Kampf Perfume on Facebook. Mm. I'll put some links in the show notes as I always do. Um, but yeah, definitely lots for everyone to check out in regards to Daphne. So um, we better wrap it up. Yeah, um, before we... Get onto an alien tangent. Yeah, we'll do aliens next time. I'll, yeah. I'll do my research a bit better and we'll have some talking points. Maybe and... aliens should be a compulsory topic with each guest. Like it needs to be like, okay, in the next five minutes, what can you say about aliens? I don't think everyone's interested. No or, choice. You've got to have an opinion Or they've, they've got a point where they'll go to and then it's just not. Nah. Well... Everyone's got an opinion on it. So yeah. I don't know anyone who doesn't have an opinion. Like when pressed, when mm, pressed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> pressed, yeah, well, yeah. I'll have to work out how to press someone on talking about aliens. <laughs> um, definitely an interesting topic, but uh, we'll save that for, for the next episode. Yeah. Maybe when the album comes out, we can yeah. get you back on and we'll Saturn talk rules about the it. the alien world. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we discover some new alien music. Yeah, binaural alien beats. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much for coming on the show. 
Um, it's been very interesting, lots to talk about. So yeah, so thanks. much to talk about. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, thanks for um, opening up about lots of different things. Um, I reckon we could easily do another hour, but yeah, uh, yeah we should test ourselves one day. Set an alarm. <laughs> keep talking. Yeah, fatigue sets in. Not an excuse. Keep going. Well, you know, I joked at the start about going for three hours. We've done two. Have we done two? We've done two hours. Wow. And Tahani's wondering what the. F- are they talking about? <laughs> yeah, she's like, I want to go to bed. <laughs> Even the cat's had a nap and yeah. he's woken up in yeah. that time. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I thank like you. For to, <laughs> I like to talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said that. So, nah, it's all good. It's what we want. So, um, yeah, thank you very much for coming on. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Check out the links in the show notes um, of all Daphne's musical and perfume adventures. Um, lots of good stuff there to check out. So, yeah, thanks everyone for tuning in. Um, make sure you subscribe, share, and um, check out the Instagram and Facebook pages with all photos and stuff of guests and, uh, yeah, what goes on behind the scenes here. So, thanks everyone for tuning in. We'll catch you soon for another episode of Fox on the Wire. Cheers. <laughs>